Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Tad, host of A Tad Predictable on EPL Index. You can find me on Twitter at Tad Predicts. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I kind of mentioned EPL Index, but we kind of got an EPL Index reunion thing going on right now. Um, <laughs> obviously, me and Dan used to write there, and Ted obviously hosts the show there. So uh, a, a bunch of uh, familiar faces on this one. Uh, I wanted to start kind of chronologically. Obviously, we missed the past two weeks, one because of a scheduling issue, one uh, because it was the international break. But over that period, the Premier League voted to use five substitutes over the same kind of three substitution periods starting next season so i figured we should probably start with this what impact do you think that this will have on the premier league at large um from my perspective i i think it's it's something especially from a liverpool side which Klopp has been asking for for a long time so i think he kind of feels vindicated from that and based on how the team has been used this season where uh, Klopp's really relied heavily on the sports science side of things and, you know, being more methodical with when he takes players off and, you know, how many minutes players are, are playing to try and avoid injury. I think that just adds another layer to that in, in a positive way for Liverpool in being able to manage the minutes of, of the players, especially with the amount of games that continue to be added to to the legs of all of these players. I think it's selfishly from a Liverpool's perspective, I think it's it's good from that perspective. And then just for the league as a whole, I know, you know, there were cons- major concerns with regards to how much of an advantage does it give to a lot of the, you know, the, the bigger teams or the, maybe the teams with the bigger financial backing that will be able to build these mega squads. I, I guess time will tell because the Premier League is a bit unique to other leagues from that perspective. But... Having seen how other leagues have introduced five substitutions, it, it's not like it's completely blown leagues out of proportion that I've seen. So hopefully that's the same with the Premier League, just a, a, a lot less injuries, a lot more you know, management of players' welfare, not just short-term but long-term as well. We can see these players play for, for a longer period of time and and then the league just stays competitive, which is what I think everybody wants. Yeah, I'm largely in agreement with what Tad said there. As far as um, how much it'll help players' welfare, it definitely won't hurt. Um, it'll probably help to an extent. I don't know how much of an extent. And they're definitely, if if player welfare was the absolute priority of everything, you know, there are other ways to improve it more. Uh, mostly, obviously, when is the winter break, but that's not really, that doesn't appear very realistic right now. Um, so this will probably help at least a little. I don't know if it'll be a major thing, but um, it can't hurt for, at least from that perspective. I do think it'll, 
be an advantage to bigger clubs um, because, as you say, it'll incentivize clubs to be more about having depth and having just those extra couple of players to bring on as substitutes, um, which the bigger clubs have the resources to do that at a much better scale than um, the smaller ones do. Um, so it, it will be an advantage. Again, how much an advantage? I'm not sure it'll be, I don't know if it's going to be like a point a season or, you know, five points a season, probably not that much, but we'll, you know, we'll see as it goes. I think it'll be an advantage, not a massive one. Yeah, I kind of have two main thoughts about this. Firstly, this is probably a really bad thing for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, uh, who famously always have a really good 11 and not much beyond that. Uh, so personally, a bit worried. And also, when when it comes to the player welfare part, I'm always wondering, like, which players will this benefit? Like, are you going to take off your star players more regularly in matches that are close because of this rule? Probably not. So maybe it gives the managers a bit more tactical flexibility or like, Tad, like you mentioned with Klopp, he can kind of watch their like heart monitors on the <laughs> sideline or whatever um, and decide who needs a, a rest at which particular moment. But I'm not really sure how this is meant to benefit players in like a match per match basis. Maybe over a full season, you'll see players playing like 150 or, or 200 or whatever random number fewer minutes. And that ultimately that helps in some meaningful way. But yeah, I'm just kind of curious from you guys, like what level of player do you think this helps? Or, or is it just like for everyone, it's like a 10% reduction in their total minutes per season? It'll probably help like central midfielders and fullbacks a tad more than everyone else. Um, Ooh, especially wingbacks with how many people yeah, are Yeah, those specific now. positions are just insane. Like wingbacks are something that that position is going we'll see how it continues to evolve as it gets more important and more running all the way up and down like teams may just carry like two very good fullbacks for each side and try and rotate more because it's crazy on the legs um so those two positions again those are kind of especially wingbacks those are positions that aren't generally subbed that much but maybe now that you have five subs and you have a bit more flexibility that is something that'll get subbed more um because it is so taxing on the legs um, so that that position specifically, and then central midfield is the other one that, like, again, if you have a Ingolo Conte or someone of that level, you're probably not going to run some them off. But if you have someone who is a bit lower level and you have a closer like for like on your bench, um, you can kind of get 60 minutes out of one to 30 minutes out of the other just to make them both more effective. Um, those two sp- positions, I would say, are probably the ones that would be helped out by this the most because those are ones that have the most taxing on their legs. Um, I was thinking more in, in terms of um, the level of player that's going to be, that's probably going to benefit from it. Um, and it's probably going to be those players that are trying to bridge the gap between under 23 and senior squad. Because oh, yeah. a, a, a lot of those players, you know, when I've only got three substitutions, I'm not going to put you on. I'm sorry. You know, it, it, it kind of, you kind of get that feeling from managers where they'll put them on the bench, but I might not bring you on. Whereas there are a lot more opportunities, I think, to to get those players a lot more experience in games. And especially you mentioned, you know, some clubs might not have the finances to, you know, carry a squad with 18 starters in it and just rotate them. Uh, You know, a lot of development is going to have to be relied on and try and bring players through that way. Um, But yeah, if it's positionally, I think definitely the fullbacks, because similar to where the under 23s, where you're not really bringing them on because they're only three subs, I feel like fullback is one of those positions where I I need you to play the whole game, dude, because I I can't afford to, in inverted commas, waste a substitution on, you know, taking you out to bring on a person that plays, 
in that exact position where I'm asking him to do mm. basically the same thing as you. Um, so yeah, so from a positional standpoint, fullbacks, but from a level standpoint, I think that that gap between, which has been a gap for a, for a while in the UK, that's been an issue is how do we bridge that gap uh, a lot better? Yeah, bringing up the U23s, I think is an excellent point. I think at one point, somebody proposed that those extra slots only be available to U23 players. And then somebody else, if memory serves, I'm a little dicier on this one, said something about homegrown players. Um, and that kind of like, kind of in, in the way that the Bundesliga kind of came up with a bunch of, of rules and restructured so that the, the talent kind of flows through their clubs, um, which, which has made the German national team so strong, maybe trying to replicate some level of that through the substitution rule. Uh, I, I think the U23 one is probably the better version of that and would have been interesting. But I think you're right, Dad. I think this just might do it anyway. It just would have been an interesting way to to encourage clubs to improve their youth setups and also incorporate them more into the first team. Um, next up, I wanted to talk about Burnley a little bit. We've talked about Everton a lot. I'm sure most people are going to be leading with Everton and are they relegation fodder and blah, blah, blah. Again, we, we've already done that a few months ago. Um, so I didn't want to dredge that up again. But I don't think many people are going to be talking about Burnley, who have now lost four straight in the Premier League. Uh, I, I think coming into the season, a lot of people saw weaknesses in the squad and just assumed Sean Dyche would steer them to like a 12th place boring finish yet again. Hasn't really happened this season. So I was just curious from you guys, are you surprised at how heavily they're they're struggling this season? And what do you think their odds are of staying up? I, I, I spoke about um, Burnley a little bit when, when I was doing my show on, I think came out on Thursday and we're doing predictions for the weekend. And I've kind of hearkened it to pre-COVID and post-COVID Burnley. And it's still the same in terms of, if you look at the amount of goals that they're leaking, then they're not bad. You know, they've only conceded 40 goals in the Premier League so far this season. And if you look at the teams around them, the closest is Everton with 49. The rest are well above 40. They're in their 50s and 60s. So I think they've still got that Dyche character in them that they're, they're very tough to beat. But then on the other side, the goal scoring has just seemed to dry up this season. Um, 22 goals scored this season. It's it it it's interesting because they had Chris Wood and they've had uh, Verghorst, and you would have thought, okay, fine. If it was if it was Chris Wood that was the issue, okay, we brought Verghorst in. Um, he's shown what he can do in the Bundesliga, and he should favour the style of playing the Premier League. And there were flashes at the beginning with him. But it seems, I think, the creativity is more of an issue. I'm looking at mm. guys like Dwight McNeil who haven't necessarily had that step up in development. And and we know development isn't linear. So it's not like every single year he's going to get better. Some years he might, you know, plateau and then there might be a big jump next year or whatever. But it seems like the support structure behind the forward player has really struggled this season. And and and. Whether or not they can stay up the season, I do think it's between, you know, I'm, I've kind of resigned Norwich and Watford to going down. And I'm looking at between Burnley and the aforementioned Everton um, of the two teams, who, which one of them then goes down with the others. At the moment, Everton have the points. <laughs> and so far this season, I'd rather have points than games in hand or anything like that because it so many teams are inconsistent this season. So... Mm. Yeah, it's going to be tough for, for Burnley to get out of that situation, I think. Yeah, Ashley Barnes aging out for them has been really bad. Cause they always had, it was Barnes and Wood, it was Barnes right. and Wood for their 
better seasons. And he was Ashley Barnes was very good for them for a while, and they just never really they couldn't really replace him. Um, then Maxwell Cornet has had a interest has had a good season, but he's been hurt for a bit, and he's also kind of crazy overperforming his uh, expected goals. So like as much as he's still a good player, you'd expect it, the goals to not go quite as much as they were going early in the season. Um, but yeah, in I think. Like not to oversimplify it to one person, but like not replacing Ashley Barnes and only having that one striker, that one Chris Wood or now um, Veghorst, um, I think it hurt them a lot. They always had um, Wood and Barnes, and like I said, Barnes is very good. Um, that's been a significant problem. And as he says, Dwight McNeil not having a great season um, has been hurt them as well. He was supposed to be a big part of their their team going forward, and he, he's been a part of the team, just hasn't been as good. Um, so I'm not surprised. In the sense that, like, did I pick Burnley to go down this season? No, but it wouldn't have been, like, you know, it's not a crazy thing for a team that is consistently kind of hung around that just above relegation um, area to then have an offseason and then be in the relegations race. That's not a shocking thing for a team at that. Um, for how little money they spend and the kind of style they play, it's not it's not entirely shocking. Yeah, I also think like as a project goes, just they've been so beleaguered by injuries. I mean, they're playing what has to be a 72-year-old Aaron Lennon every match. Um, and, and he's done fairly well for himself in these matches, but you just shouldn't be relying on a player like that. Obviously, good Munson head injuries. Um, Jeff Hendrick walked. Uh, who was that other really good central midfielder that was just never fit the whole time he was there? Uh, Stephen DeFore. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's been kind of, Issue after issue, I totally agree with the the striking issues that both of you mentioned. I thought Veghorst would have been way more successful by now, but yeah, the, the, you don't really have many creators in that team. And if McNeil isn't on, and there's no Good Munson doing any set piece stuff or delivery from out wide, who is going to set up those goals? Is it just going to be Cornet getting into the box and then finding a striker? Because it seems like that's basically the plan: is Cornet has to get into the box, do something, either score it or play it to Veghorst and Veghorst isn't really scoring right now either. Um, so yeah, it's uh, not looking particularly good for them. Totally agree with your argument, Tad, that I'd much rather have points than games in hand. Obviously, at one stage, Tottenham had like three games in hand, and we're like, if we win this, we're going to finish above Chelsea, and then we lost two or three of them. Uh, I think two, I think because the Arsenal one still hasn't been played yet, so TBD on that one. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one, but Everton do have a really rough series of uh, clubs left that they have to play. I probably prefer Burnley's schedule, but yeah, having the points, as you say, probably far more important this season. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about defenses with you guys as well. Both of your clubs, Liverpool and Arsenal, are currently top five in the league in both clean sheets and goals allowed this season. Maybe not a huge shock given the like traditional big six, although it looked like that was going to die and now it kind of feels like it's on its way right back. But I was just curious what you think is the primary cause for the strength in your defense. Is it the defense itself? Is it the goalkeeper bailing them out? Is it the midfielder? Uh, is it the midfielders kind of dropping back and assisting in that way? So yeah, I was just curious what do you think is the biggest strength and cause for your strong defensive statistic performances? Yeah, I think for Liverpool, it, it's a combination of almost all of those things, really. Um, we saw last season when Van Dijk got injured, our defence wasn't as strong um, as we wanted it to be. And it didn't help that we started moving midfielders back into centre-back instead of trusting some of the younger players. And Klopp's spoken about he probably should have trusted the younger players earlier on and kept 
the midfield is where they should be. But I think this season, everyone's playing in their correct position. So that's a good start. Um, and then I think it's helped Liverpool that obviously VAR got introduced. It's been a couple of seasons now. But having VAR there, I think, has given Liverpool that added assurance when it comes to playing the high line. Because a lot of those decisions are close. Um, I'm looking, for example, this weekend, the two chances that were heavily focused on um, for Watford and, and could they have scored, etc. Both of those chances were offside, but they were treated as though they were onside. And obviously, we no lines were drawn or anything like that um, during the game because they, they didn't score from them. So there wasn't a need for it. But if the line, you know, having that assurance that if the lines do then get drawn, at least we know that player's offside, so you can't really count that chance. And a lot of that has happened this season. If you look at offsides this season, I think Liverpool are dominating in terms of how many offsides that they've, um, how many times they've caught opposition teams offside compared to the second next best team. I can't, I'm not sure what the updated numbers are now but i i do know at, at some point we were at least double digits over the next best team and the next best team was city at that i think a couple of months ago so it's definitely a strength that we can rely on and have that assurance with var and then also having allison back after um after uh, you know the previous season we mentioned obviously the injury to van dyke allison had a couple of injuries in that season and then also had some personal issues as well with his father passing away. Um, so it wasn't a really good season for him, whereas this season he seems to be back on it. Um, so, yeah, a combination of having the assurances with VAR, having uh, obviously that defensive team that's played together for the best part of three years now, um, Allison back to his best, Van Dijk back in centre midfield, marshalling that back line uh, has really, really helped us out. And then... And I, I don't mean to step on Dan's toes on this one with regards to set pieces because Liverpool have uh, their hired set piece coaches. And I'm sure um, with Arsenal, that's been a big factor for them as well when it comes to set pieces. And I'm sure Dan will speak on that. But Liverpool hiring those set piece coaches, it's not just um, uh, allowed us to top the table when it comes to scoring goals from set pieces, but it's helped sort out a lot of our, our mistakes that we were making defensively when it came to set pieces and when you're playing such a low scoring game like football every little bit counts so i think that you know being more secure when it comes to set pieces on a defensive standpoint has also helped uh, cut out a lot of goals that you would usually expect to concede uh, during the course of a season yeah, as Tad mentioned, um, Arsenal have not conceded a goal for I did correctly mention, but we've not conceded a goal from a corner, I believe, is the stat that uh, commentators keep saying during the game, which makes me nervous. Um, but that's been a big part of our um, improvement defensively. And it's, as far as the team as a whole, it almost feels like we've done it in two different ways for the first half and second half of the season. Because the first half of the season, um, there was we were more... We were less expansive, and also Aaron Ramsdale was on a heater. Like He was having a very, very good shot-stopping season for the first half of the season, which has leveled out a bit since. Um, but that that is kind of what I felt kept us to being a good defense for the first half of the season. Second half of the season is a bit more. We've, it's almost not our defense. We've just developed a bet being better at pinning teams in and being able to continuously apply pressure um, and not be so vulnerable to counterattacks. Um, so it's almost it's not, not so much our 
it's not so much the classic sitting back defending well it's more we've not been as vulnerable in midfield to getting cut through um so i guess for if we're putting a specific um part of the uh defense to it um our midfield has been more coherent uh in the second half of the season and then um for first half season aaron ramsdale the keeper was uh doing very well Got it. Well, uh, slightly jealous. Tottenham not top five in both of those things right now. You know, if you did the Conte table, you know, maybe. But <laughs> anyway, impressive from both of you nonetheless. Um, we've kind of alluded to a couple of these races a little bit already, but I just wanted to play a quick game of who would you rather be in each race. Obviously, feel free to not comment on your team if you think you're just going to say your team and kind of leave it there. But uh, I guess they will kind of start off with you. Would you rather be Liverpool or City in the title race? It's so hard. All of these races, this is a fantastic Premier League season because all of these races are so up in the air. Um, I believe I would still rather be, I think I'd still rather be City because that game between Liverpool and City is at the Etihad. But um, so based on pretty much solely that, because I think both of these teams could just win all their other games because they're they're the two best teams in the world. They're absolutely unbelievable. Um, so I'm going to go City specifically because um, that game between the two um, is at home for them. Do you feel like that's fair, Ted? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think this, it it was where that game was going to be played, that second game. And, and as he says, it's being played at the Etihad. I think also when it comes to the Premier League specifically, I think there's more pressure on Klopp to win it than there is for Pep, considering how many Pep has won in recent his, history. And obviously, they both want to win every single year if they can but I think for Klopp it's getting to that stage where um, for me it's fine because this is one of the best if not the best Liverpool team I've ever seen in my life Um, but you know over the course of Klopp's tenure so to speak but a lot of people will then start to say okay but what are the results of that and it's you know it's he's the fastest manager to you know to or he's gotten the most wins out of 250 games, but those 250 games don't always come in a 38-game Premier League season. It's like how Tottenham were the best team from 2015 to 16, inarguably, but didn't win the title in either. Exactly, exactly. So um, it's going to get to that stage where, okay, but are you winning trophies at the end of all this good stuff that you're doing? And I think, yeah, so I think there's a lot more pressure on Klopp and you're chasing them down. It's It's an away game as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give the edge to City. And I, I would rather be in City's position at the moment. Gotcha. Well, Ted, to avoid Dan and I having to be heinously biased, who would you rather be between Spurs or Arsenal for this top four spot? <laughs> I'm going to go with the logic of the, the points on the board. I'd rather be Arsenal at the moment. Um, both, look, th- there was a couple of, you know, back in, let's say, beginning of March, for example, you could have predicted any one of those teams in terms of, you know, Tottenham or Arsenal going and winning all their games, going and only winning two of the games, going on, like, you just don't know what these teams in terms of consistency and what they can produce. But we're starting to see a pattern with both where the teams we should be beating, we're starting to beat comfortably. Um, And then it's about those other teams where, like a Crystal Palace away, where it's tricky, can you then get those ones over the line? Um, But at the moment, I think um, in terms of it was, you know, before time of recording, it was Arsenal had the points on the board. Yes, they've still got a game to play this weekend and 
as we said, games in hand are dangerous. But right now, I think I'd still rather be Arsenal. I think they're playing well. They've gotten a system in place. As long as their games continue to be spread out, sort of one game a week type situations, I think Arteta's doing well at game planning for each game. It'll be interesting when the games do start piling up, when he's got two or three you know, on the bounce and, and how much training he can get done before those games opposed to having usually having a week to prepare for them. But yeah, I, I, I still think I still think I back Arsenal, although it's it's very tricky because I think Spurs have the better coach. I just trust Arsenal's players better. Famous last words. <laughs> uh, well, Why have you done this to me? <laughs> historically, I don't know if those are famous last words. Tottenham's players. Uh, is the history of Tottenham, annoyingly, as Chiellini once said. Uh, Dan, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I I think Spurs are actually slightly better, but um, we actually have the same number of points right now, but we have two games in hand. So based on, I, I think it feels like a like a 55, 40, and then 5% for United, because, you know, we can't technically write them off yet. But um, like, that's kind of how it feels. I think we are favorites, but not significantly. And I think it's like, so I think I would rather be us, but only slightly. Yeah, on the Tottenham side, I'm just nervous. I think it's, largely who's going to win the North London Derby whenever it's played and what happens in the Chelsea Arsenal match. Cause that could really, cause that's the six points. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. And Tad, as you say, sometimes it isn't down to the big sexy matches. Sometimes it's just, yeah. Can Arsenal beat Crystal Palace away tomorrow? Can Tottenham beat Leicester, you know, in a few weeks. I'd, from I'd now? feel a lot better if we didn't have, if six of our remaining 10 games weren't away. And that's some really tricky. interesting. There's there's Southampton away and Palace away over two that are uh, looking at the schedule. It's like, oh, those are kind of scary. Um, so that's like if if those were home matches or even if one was a home match, I'd feel better. I'd still yeah. feel anxious, but I feel better. Yeah, it's really, really similar to the Burnley Everton thing we were talking about earlier, because uh, one team has the much better run in and the other team in theory has the more points. But like you said, Ted, technically, as we record, Tottenham are the ones ahead of Arsenal in fourth. But yeah, Arsenal play tomorrow and then still have another game in hand after that. All right. Uh, kind of in the middle of the table, kind of battling for those European spots. Is it going to be a second Europa League spot? Is it going to be the European Conference League? I'm, I'm thinking between Wolves and West Ham just because they have similar points, similar matches played. Uh, we're not leaving out Manchester United just because we're haters. We just figure you probably don't want the second Europa League spot. Which which of these do you think is more likely to grab one of those European places? This one was probably the the hardest one for me because I, over the course of a season, I usually you know like that adage: offense wins games, defense wins championships. But for these two teams. West Ham's offense is far superior um, in terms of goal scoring. And and then on the other side, uh, Wolves' defense has been far superior. Yeah, but incredible. It, it's been absolutely insane how well they've done. But at the moment, they just can't seem to buy goals, um, or at least a lot of goals in games. And that could be, I think that's going to be their undoing in this race. I, I think West Ham. Um, whether or not you know they get past their next, uh, do they play Barcelona? I think in the next round in mm. in the Europa League. Whether that's going to be a factor for them, but I think West Ham are in a very good moment at the moment. They've got um, Bowen back, which I think was very crucial for them in terms of the goals um, and the attacking threat that he brings as well. I, I think in this case, 
it's going to be an exception to the rule. And I think offense is going to be what rules and in, in terms of which one finishes ahead of the other. So I'm going to go with West Ham finishing above Wolves. Yeah, I think West Ham is clearly the team. I don't know if, how often you guys look at um, FB ref, but um, Wolves have conceded 27 goals this season, but they have 45 expected goals conceded this <laughs> season. So uh, some of it is Jose Saas having an incredible season. Some of it's probably a bit of luck. But at this point, there's only so many games left for that to even out. Um, but as Tad says, they really can't score at all. Um, so, like, in terms of team quality, I think West Ham is just a better team. But I'm concerned that they might have just run out of gas and they might just be a bit a bit cooked. Um, they obviously won today. Um, and as Tad said, getting Jared Bowen back is huge. He's very, very good. Um, but I am concerned that they might run out of steam at the end. Um, I'll still go West Ham because, like I said, I think they're a better team. Um, they have a game in hand and are only a point back. Um, but it's uh, like all of you said, as I said earlier, this is a great season. Um, there are so many close races. I'll go West Ham, but it could go either way. Yeah, I totally agree with you on some of the Wolves metrics, but there's just something about the way that they play that I wonder if they're just one of those statistical outliers, like how Leicester's were, like there may be their some to it, years. but also like that is it can't be twenty goals. <laughs> I, no, I see your point. it is. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see in future years uh, under Bruno Lage, and then we'll kind of finish. Ted, you actually alluded to this one a little bit earlier, and and I kind of made a comparison to the Spurs Arsenal race there a little bit earlier, but Burnley or Everton. Like you said, I think just we're collectively agreeing that Norwich and Watford are basically down um, and and that the other teams around there are going to be good enough. Like three weeks ago, we talked about Brentford potentially, you know, being uh, <laughs> being one of the relegation race. And now they're higher than Newcastle on the table. But yeah, between Burnley or Everton, who, who would you favor? Uh, so I looked, <laughs> I was looking at their fixture. Obviously, the big fixture might swing this, um, the one on Wednesday, because they play each other. But based on the fixtures that they have left, I I think I think 30 points may be enough, considering how the teams have played this season. Which would be wildly and low historically. It's it's so low. It it really is. But I, you know, if you're looking at Burnley, especially in their last five games, they haven't won a game. And and the game that um, Everton won against Newcastle, it's a one-nil win, very close game. Um, could have potentially gone either way in that one as well. So I think that four-point cushion that Everton have is just, that's massive for teams that have um, barely won any games recently. Um, Yeah, Burnley have three on the season and Everton. Yeah. yeah. So, So we're effectively giving Burnley about three wins, so to speak, to get to to 30, opposed to... A win and two draws for Everton. I, I, I think I favour Everton in in this one just because I, as I said, pre-COVID and post-COVID, uh, Burnley are two different situations for me. And post-COVID, Burnley unfortunately just can't seem to get their attack going this season. And it seems like attack is going to be able to get you out of a lot of situations in all of these um, close races that we have at the moment. So yeah, I'm I'm going to go with Everton. Also, I think. There's more optimism with Everton in that uh, uh, Calvert-Lewin's still not fully fit. And you saw, you know, in the game earlier today, he got taken off. Um, He didn't get to play the whole 90, and I think they're slowly building him up. So once he gets firing, I I just think there's a lot more firepower with him, with the likes of Richarlison, 
Um, if Damari Gray decides to get hot again, you know, it, it's, there's just more promise there. But the only thing that's making me pause for caution is that I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, maybe it is unfair to say, but I think Lampard's probably the worst manager in the league. And is is it a situation where him being the manager of Everton becomes the detriment for them, opposed to Daesh being the manager of Burnley, and and the manager kind of wins out in that situation? Um, I I think that I I think the players can get five points despite Lampard, and I I know I'm being very harsh on Lampard, but I just don't see it with him in terms of. Mm. Where he is at at this current point in his career, like, look, he could go on to be a good manager, a great manager, but at this current point, I don't think there is a manager worse than him in the league currently. And whether or not that becomes Everton's downfall come the end of the season, I think time will tell. But at least they've got that four-point buffer. If they can get five points from their next eight games, I, th- I think they're going to be fine. So... I think Everton are a better team. I think they have better players, and they have, a, as Tad mentioned, a four-point cushion on Burnley, which is massive in a relegation race. That's a lot of. That's a significant uh, amount of ground. The only thing that's holding me back is the fixture lists are so, like the the gap in the disparity in difficulty is just massive. Like for people who have it who don't have it in front of them, Burnley have Everton at home, Norwich away, West Ham away. Southampton at home, Wolves at home, Watford away, Villa at home, Spurs away, Newcastle at home. A fairly easy fixture list, uh, only Spurs in the big six um, and five home games. Everton have Burnley away, United at home, Leicester, who aren't that good this year, but still have some good players at home, Liverpool away, which is the hardest fixture in the league, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Brentford at home, and Arsenal away on the final day. That is a murderous row of a fixture list. Like it, it's like they may only need five points. If they don't beat Burnley, I don't know if they get five points. Um, so, all that said, I'm still going to pick Everton because I think, as I said, I think they're a better team and they have that four point advantage. But man, their fixture list is murder. Yeah, which is why I was kind of bringing it up earlier in that previous comparison. Yeah, it's it's a really rough run, and and I think what's so fascinating, Dan, you've mentioned a few times now that it's why this season is so great, is that our race is going to heavily impact this relegation race. Because like you said, you have uh, Everton on the last day of the season. You also play Newcastle and Leeds. I don't think either of them are really in it, but you know, they're both obviously clubs that are uh, in and around that area as we speak. And then Tottenham have Burnley and Norwich the last two weeks, you know, assuming that the TV uh, stations don't put Tottenham Arsenal after the last day of the season, just to milk it for even more views. Um, But yeah, it could be really telling what, our race does to that race. Um, so yeah, really fascinating to see all of that. You know, not only that, that these are all as close as they are, but that they could impact each other um, kind of running down to that last wire. And, you know, there's always the chance that by then these races aren't as close as, as we're thinking they are now. But yeah, it's it's really setting up to be quite, quite an astounding 10 final match weeks of the season. Obviously, a few clubs still have a couple more matches to play than that um we'll take a quick break now and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back, Tad. We'll start off with you talking about Liverpool. Ten straight wins has to feel pretty good. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you have all your players back playing in their natural positions. Obviously helps. Do you think that that's the the primary reason behind this huge resurgence from you, or do you think it's something else? Yeah, I think that's definitely the situation. And also um, being able to manage injuries a lot better this season. As I mentioned, when I was talking about the five substitutions being introduced, Klopp has been heavily relying on the... Uh, sports science side of things with when to play players, how often to play them, when you know how many minutes to give uh, certain players in certain games. But um, yeah, looking forward and and what would probably be if, if I had to pick one player, say that that would be the key player for me. I think the the, the obvious ones are the Van Dykes, etc. But I would have to say Allison um, because it, you know every time we've won trophies in in this um iteration of liverpool allison has played a massive part in terms of just keeping us in games so games where it's nil nil he makes sure they stay nil nil until we you know until our attack sorts itself out for example if we have a slow start or if we're ahead he just allows us to stay ahead one nil up until we get that second goal to give us a bit of a breather so teams you know we we don't concede a lot of chances to to teams we're very good at, at limiting the chances that teams have but when they do get chances you now then have to go face allison and when he's playing in the form that he's currently playing at um it it makes it very very difficult for oppositions and yeah so as i said we've obviously got um you know an abundance of riches in terms of quality players and it's a you know it's it's you know it's first world problems really uh trying to pick one player that's important and and you look at just the spine of Liverpool, Van Dijk, obviously key, Fabinho key, um, and then up top, Salah, obviously the main man um, in that trio. But for me, I think Alisson playing at his peak is is key for me because no matter how good your defence is, you will always give some chances to other teams. Um, and if they have to then face an inform Alisson, I'll be quite confident of how well we do this season. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And yeah, <laughs> your best 11 is frankly absurd. And then, yeah, the fact that Klopp does lean into the analytics, you mentioned the set-piece coaches and stuff like earlier, like anything you can do to get an edge, you're taking, which I think is why, you know, you're so thoroughly back in this title race. And briefly, we're we're winning it. <laughs> Had a good couple of hours there on Saturday. <laughs> um, I also wanted to bring up the Salah stuff. I think we did that to you last time as well, so sorry about that. Um, but reports starting to come out that he may have signed that extension. Are, are we buying that? And regardless, how do we feel about it? 
Um, I hope it's true. <laughs> I do hope it's true because I think if he, you know, if he doesn't sign and we do end up selling him, it's going to take two players to replace what he brings to the team. One for the goal scoring, the other for the creative side of things. Um, whether or not he signed it yet, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it was perhaps more to do with um, the image rights issue and trying to sort that out because he being a smart uh, player and, and his agent isn't really an agent. He's a lawyer. Um, and maybe he looked into this before Salah signed for Liverpool, but he's one of the few players that we have that kept his image rights. So mm. although Liverpool pay him, you know, if, if you want to say the 250,000 a week, um, that's just from Liverpool. And then he, with his image rights um, and, and the deals that he's able to do individually, uh, for his own individual brand, that then elevates him to become one of the highest paid players, um, not just in the league, but in, in, in the world, and elevates him to those Forbes top athletes um, lists that come up. So I think it got to a stage now with the negotiations where Liverpool were looking to then buy his image rights, effectively. Um, obviously, he's sponsored by Adidas and our kit sponsors are Nike. And if we don't have his image rights, then that becomes a, a whole issue as well. So I think the club were trying to buy the image rights. Now, the, the, the discussion from Salah's side is, OK, fine, you're paying me 250. Let's just make it very basic and say, OK, top, increase my wages by 25,000, OK, whatever. OK, now I'm being paid 275,000. All right, then now let's talk about my image rights. Now his image rights are sitting and hovering around the three hundred thousand a week value. Dang, Liverpool can't afford that. <laughs> like uh, we we can't afford that. You know, um, in terms of paying him over six hundred thousand a week. So I think that's where the difficulty came in. Is Liverpool is which side is going to buckle or which side is going to concede in terms of do Liverpool just give up on the image rights issue and then just increases wages, which they can comfortably do. The likes of, you know, like the James Milners and stuff, leaving the season will free up enough money to be able to do that. Or are they trying to desperately keep those, you know, trying to buy those image rights at a discount? Um, and, and whether or not they can convince them to take sort of like a hometown discount. An interesting one would be if, let's say, Nike can get him on board at Nike, um, or, you know, if he switches boots or whatever sponsorship from Adidas to Nike, and then maybe Nike, um, you know, take part of that um, deal and, and help Liverpool not have to pay so much in wages because he's not like on a Adidas Nike deal. United who, deal? Yeah, some, something similar to that with Pogba, you know, for example. So um, those, I think, are the conversations that made it a lot more complicated than what we're used to. It's not just a standard contract negotiation. There were a lot of elements that came into it, a lot of sponsors that want to have a voice um, that come into it. But in terms of just home hometown discounts, um, if you look at um, the cost in salary per goal or assist over the last five seasons, um, it's quite staggering in terms of the inverted commas hometown discount because Salah's the, the the most value for money in terms of goals and assists currently. And I know uh, Simon Brendish uh, crunched the numbers and tweeted, um, made a Twitter post on that. So if you go to his Twitter account, the numbers and stuff are there where Salah is the most valuable, I think at like 
50,980. The clo next closest is Lewandowski with 64,504. And then Neymar, 68,122. So Salah is at least 14,000 per goal or assist, more, more value for money than the closest person. Obviously, the, the highest on that list for anyone interested, Neymar is at 162,050. So over 100,000. <laughs> Uh, more you're paying him in terms of value for goals and assists um, in, in that calculation. But yeah, go check out Simon Brandish's Twitter for that kind of stuff. Uh, it's really cool to see. So I think, I, I don't think Salah's being unfair. I think he's saying, pay me what I'm worth. If you do want the image rights, okay, pay me what my image rights are worth. Um, and I, I, I don't even think, I don't think that's a conversation that can be started unless Nike get involved, in my opinion. And I don't see why Adidas would easily give up um Salah to Nike with, without putting up some sort of fight. So yeah, there's it's it's a lot more complicated than has been implied um in, in, in the newspapers and in the tabloids. Um whether or not he signed it, if he has, it's great. If he hasn't, um I, I would be quite upset because I think having Salah on board, especially now whilst Klopp is still there, and then in two years' time when Klopp does leave Liverpool is going to be key. We need players that have been there with Klopp, have hopefully gone gone and won, you know, not just trophies in the past, but trophies over these next two years that could then, when a manager comes in, they're not coming in with brand new players that don't know the culture of the club, so to speak, the standards that are being, that are asked to be set. It, 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 it makes the transition a lot easier. And then the last thing I'll say is, um, with regards to some of the young players that we brought in, the Harvey Elliotts, we got Cavallio coming in from Fulham. I think that deal's been confirmed, or at least it will be confirmed um, soon enough. Um, there, there are some, you know, Luis Diaz coming in in January. If we have Salah there as the role model for how to be, you know, a, a player that's competing to be a world-class player or competing for Ballon d'Ors, you ask for the work ethic for Salah. He's one of those... Um, first one in, last one to leave type of situations. His diet is impeccable. Um, his gym work is ridiculous. Like, if he can be at the club showing those guys, the Diaz's, et cetera, how to then be great. And if then Salah leaves after a couple of years of Diaz training with him, I'm happy for Diaz to try and take that mantle and, and be, you know, the Salah replacement, so to speak, because his numbers at Porto they matched up really well to Salah's numbers when Salah was at Roma. So that's an exciting thing to um, from that perspective. But he needs to now train with the guy that's been there and done it. Um, yeah, so I, I think it will be a mistake from a long-term development of maintaining Liverpool standards if we let Salah go now. Uh, but as I said, it's it's not as easy, unfortunately, when, when a player is smart enough to keep their image rights and then goes and performs um, at an elite level like he has. Gotcha. Yeah, you have a really interesting uh, choice to make there. And obviously, I have so much trauma from hearing the word image rights that many times after that was what caused the Zabala <laughs> to Tottenham move. 
um, fall through. But uh, Dan, you're kind of in a similar-ish situation. And for you, it's like the third or fourth big player in a row you've had to deal with, which is Alexander Lacazette, who wasn't really providing goals or assists the first half of the season. And then basically the second the second half started, decided to have eight assists in ten matches. Pretty impressive. Uh, curious your thoughts on his uh, current role, how he's playing in the team, and, and if this has put you in another weird contract situation. Um, the thing that would put us in a weird contract situation is the fact that, we don't, that, that if we let him go, we'd have to sign two strikers more so than his play. I think Lacazette's pretty cooked. Like he has, So he has seven assists this season, but it's off 1.9 expected assists. That's not going to keep up. Um, it, like, as, I think his link play is good. But it's not. It's been over. It's been overstated by the number, by the ridiculous number of assists he had in a number of games. Um, he has two non-penalty goals this season. He is uh, getting less than two shots a game. He's just. He's not. He's not a good enough starting striker at all. Um, the only real place where I think he would. The only reason I'm even considering. Um, being open to a contract extension, not that I'm making decisions, but um, is again, like I said, because if we don't re-sign him, we have to sign two strikers. Um, so if he is open to a backup role on a one, maybe a two-year deal, I would consider it. But I, as I said, I think he's pretty cooked. Um, so even that would, even like a two-year deal, I would be pretty pretty hesitant to to give him because i i think it could look it could be pretty much immovable he could just be a negative player pretty soon um he's shown age he is very slow now um he is a useful guy to help connect the team um but ultimately the job the, the number one the number one two and three job as a striker is to get shots and to score goals and he just doesn't do that um he has not done that this season at anywhere near a good enough level he's a below average striker when it comes to shots only just but he's about average for like premier league average not top six average like premier league average he's just not good enough to be um the starting striker on a team uh compete that that has aspirations of a top four um and even as a backup as a backup who could decline even that concerns me so um yeah as far as um should we give him an extension um it really depends on what we can do for a backup striker as an alternative um I'm not that concerned either way. If we let him go, that's fine. If we extend him, that's going to bring me some anxiety, but it could be fine. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm just fascinated with how many times this has happened. But I guess to your point, he isn't, in theory, the the key player that say, you know, yeah, Alexis I, I would, or Otzel. Or... In an entirely different category. Like, I think like he's he should not be the one pressuring us for a contract. Like He should be hoping he gets a contract from right. us because, yeah, he's not. He's not a. He's not. I'm not even sure he's Europa League level quality striker at this yeah, point. He's not he's a Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and you mentioned some stats there. I know you're a big uh, uh, fan of stats. We we were kind of talking before the show about how all of our clubs are on pretty impressive runs right now. Arsenal, obviously, part of that list. And I was just curious if if this is the final like Arteta turning point. If the stats are kind of saying the same thing that the results are. Where does that all kind of sit right now? We probably are playing. I don't know. In terms of like our act, our performances, we have just been straight up good for the past um, three, four months. Um, we've just we've simply been good. I was a bit wary of it in December because that tended to coincide with we played a bunch of teams who were like we played Leeds with 
who had like a 15 year old on the bench who were not playing a real team that kind of helped them we played norwich who are terrible so like that was kind of wary of it then at this point i just think we might be good um some i'm i am somewhat wary of of it because like we just became good there's no obvious like point thing to point to like oh this is why things have changed because like with spurs spurs turned around significantly because oh Conte became manager. That's yeah, a very if you hire one of the five thing. best managers in the league, you tend to get yeah. better, turns out. Like, that's a very clear, okay, <laughs> this this happened because, like, X happened because Y. There isn't really that, with Arteta, we just kind of like, well, we were average, and now we are playing well. But we are objectively playing well. And we have a, and the, I guess the way you could explain it is, like, the young players have just gotten, they have gotten better and also become more familiar with the system, which is, it, that would make sense if it was more gradual improvement. In fact, that it's radical improvement. Again, I'm a bit wary of how how real that is, but it's definitely real to some point, and we are just clearly good. Like at this point, we're going to give our Ted an extension at the end of the season, and I'm okay with that, which is not something I would have thought I'd be saying six months ago. Um, like I'm just I'm okay with that. Is he a world class manager? I don't think so, but um, but I definitely don't think he's a negative anymore. So. I'm fine with giving giving him an extension. He could get better. Like he's still pretty new in his coaching career. Um, like that's a pretty radical turnaround for me for anyone who's been a long time listener of this <laughs> podcast. Um, so yeah, it, how re, like is it is it is this level of play 100% real? I don't know. Is it 85, 90% real? Yeah, I think so. So that's pretty great. Yeah, and I think the combination of young manager and young squad historically has been a pretty good choice. Um, I would just assume that in those contract negotiations, you'd give yourselves a pretty easy out um, the way <laughs> Tottenham have had to start doing uh, instead of paying man- like five managers at a time as we just uh, marry you around our way through them. Because I-, I think if you had like a dual option where like if he ends up actually being a world class manager, somebody could come buy him out of the contract. But if he's terrible, you could cut him in two years and not have to owe him any money afterwards. I think that might be something that would... Uh, and to benefit both parties, yeah, but I agree. I with believe you. he has. I believe is one year after this, and I I would expect it to either be a two or three year extension. Um, I don't. I don't think we actually had any like solid rumors for the details of the contract extension, yeah. but it's going to. It, I will be shocked if it does not happen. There has been some rumors that they've been in talks, and I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. So true. And I do think there's a, a a small chance for both clubs that whoever falls short between Tottenham and Arsenal could have a, like a real negative impact on their general momentum. Because I think right now, if you looked at both sides, both sides will probably finish higher next year than they're going to this year. But that can always cause some weird emotional stuff. And I'm loath to say it because it's mentioned on literally every single Tottenham match, even when you're winning 5-1, for example. But if Tottenham miss out on, on Champions League, does it have an effect on Conte and or Kane? Which I'm not sure there's the same fear at Arsenal at present. Um, we'll wrap up with player watch. And I was just curious, you know, as we keep talking about all these objectives that our clubs are kind of chasing, which player at your club do you most need to step up if you are to reach your objectives within the season? So for Tad, that'd be obviously the the title, and you're obviously still in the Champions League. Then Dan and I, you know, more of that that top four. Um, I suppose it's that's slightly different. Hey, to in in terms of stepping up, maybe then a player that's not necessarily firing on all cylinders um whereas Allison uh, would have been my choice but I think he is playing really well so stepping up it would probably have to be between Firmino and Henderson 
Um, Firmino, just because he he hasn't played that that much football this season for us, he he's been thrown into specific games at certain points in time, um, especially for the defensive work that he does from the front, as weird as that may sound. But especially, for example, in the Man City game, I'm pretty sure he's going to start that game just because we we need the defensive work that he does where he um, harasses the, the other team's midfielders um, to, you know, kind of disrupt them having a, a, a tempo and controlling the game. So if he's starting that game, having not played so often for us this season, he has to hit the ground running, so to speak, and he has to put in a big performance. So, um, And then on the other side, Henderson, he's not had the best of seasons. Um, he started playing better in the second half of this season. And if he can continue doing that, um, I think that will be important because as the club captain, he's probably going to play a lot of games uh, coming up and um, obviously very heavily managed because he does have a, a few injury problems, um, like long-term problems that will continue to affect him um, throughout his career. So he will be monitored, but that makes it hard for a player to then, when you're not in rhythm, when you, you can you can be managed to a certain point and you can't always guarantee that you're playing every game, depending on how you're reacting to training and, and games and stuff, maybe that can be hard. Um, so yeah, between those two, if, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Firmino because I can see him being thrown into some really crucial games um, and he's going to be judged unfairly because the standard's going to be you have to give 8, 9, 10 out of 10 performances in those games because they're so crucial for us, whereas he wouldn't have gotten enough games to play himself into a good rhythm. So, yeah, Firmino's going to have a big role um, towards the end of the season. I don't know, big matches just play Origi if it's me, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's guaranteed three goals, so, yeah, yeah that seems easy. like a good tactic. Light work. Um, <laughs> Dan, who, who needs to step up there for Arsenal? Oh, well, I already burned all my stats on him, but it's Lacazette. Um, like, he's he works very hard, and he has helped the team um, a good amount this last uh, these last couple of months, but he does just need to score at least a couple goals. That would be really helpful. Um, because, like, having just no goals from your striker is really hard to overcome. We have done it because Saka's been on fire, Martinelli's been good, uh, Smith Rowe's been chipping in with goals. We've been able to overcome it, but ultimately, it's going to be really tough for us to be where we want to be if Lacazette doesn't at least chip in with some goals. So he's he's the guy in terms of stepping up. Um, there are other guys who we need to maintain their levels, but in terms of stepping up, it's Lacazette. There's no, I don't even think there's another answer. Yeah, and for Spurs, I'd say it probably has to be Emerson or Regulon. Regulon picked up a knee injury in training on Friday. And of course, as soon as you hear knee injury, you know, we might not hear again from him until like freaking November. But if he's if he's okay, I'd say Regulon. And if Regulon's just out because of injuries, then I'd say it has to be Emerson. Because if we're going to play Doherty at left wing back, which worked incredibly well today, um, then Emerson really needs to step all the way up at, at right wing back, where he has just been tragically poor this year and I feel for him because he was brought in to play the right side of a 4-4-2 which he was familiar with um and now we're like you got you you have to be a wing back uh but there are like basic things it was like my earlier complaints about Doherty where it's like he's not being played in the right position you're like does that prevent him from being able to play a five-yard pass 
Uh, I'm kind of there right now with Emerson Royal. Got on the score sheet today. Actually marked uh, Sam Maximin fairly well. But yeah, hopefully uh, he'll be able to step it up. And if Regulon's fit, then it's not an issue because Matt Doherty is all of a sudden good. Uh, and, and the concern would be at the other wingback position. All right, that's where we will wrap things for today. If you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kev. Um, I'm Tadio Chinakira, as I said, host the a Tad Predictable podcast on EPL Index. You can find all the other work that I do um, on Twitter at Tad Predicts. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can still get me on Twitter at the underscore Jersey underscore Fitz. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. You can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. And you can just type EPL Roundtable into all of your podcasting doodads. <laughs> uh, but we'll leave things there. Thanks again to these two for coming on. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.